Well, perhaps you'd turn in the Bible. Mervyn is going to read from Hebrews chapter 6 for us. And maybe turn on your Bible if you haven't brought your own with you. And let's read together. Morning to everybody. Reading from Hebrews uh, chapter 6. And we're going to commence reading at the 13th verse. The, the title to this passage is called The Certainty of God's Promise. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. That as we stand, Father, we pray that you would teach us from your word, you would humble us before it, before you, and that you would speak through me, your servant, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you take your seat, I hope you'll open up to Hebrews and chapter 6, and we'll be looking at those few verses together. We might just be facing into the perfect storm in this year of 2022. Now, I'm not talking about weather events, you'll be glad to know. I'm not talking about storm barras. But instead, I'm going to suggest something metaphorically. And here's what it is. There's been a cultural revolution over the last 10 years or so that's engulfed us at full force, a cultural revolution. Things have changed in the way Ireland, the way things are across the world, across the West. And coupled with something else that we've seen in the last year or two, there's this pandemic exhaustion that's literally surging through our national and personal psyche. And, and these two things have led to Christians struggling. Now, you add in the hard things going in your own life personally, and it's a perfect storm, 2022. And did you know that thousands of Christians, and I'm talking thousands of Christians, in churches like ours, across the country, across the world, 
those who are still gathering, well, they're standing on the precipice of despair. We really do live in faith-testing times. Now, it feels to me, and this is likely your experience too, it feels like society around us has lost patience with Christians and their biblical truth claims. But the question is, will you and I lose hope? Well, as we read the Bible together today, and as we watch the writer to the Hebrews highlighting to Christians who are struggling to persevere, here's what we're gonna see. There's a much needed one nil down team talk to Christians in this passage. And there's only a few minutes until the whistle goes in the second half, so stay with me for three prompts for struggling Christians. That's where we're headed. Three prompts for struggling Christians. Here's the first. Look at God's response to Abraham's faithfulness. Verses 13 to 15. Look at God's response to Abraham. Let's read from verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now the background here, that the Hebrew Christians familiar with their Old Testaments, that, that they would have immediately spotted, is the moment that's recorded in Genesis chapter 22. It was a terrifying moment, if you remember it. It was a, a crisis that Abraham was confronted with, and that crisis was obey God or save the life of his son, Isaac. And in that crisis, what did Abraham choose? Well, he chose faithfulness to God. It mustn't have been easy. It must have been terrifying, but he chose faithfulness to God. And just after that, God said this, and this is recorded in Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bible with you, why don't you turn back to the, the start of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 22. Keep a, a finger in Hebrews chapter six, but turn back to Genesis 22 and read this from verse 16. This is what God said to Abraham as Abraham chose to trust God. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. It resonates, doesn't it? Because that's what the writer to the Hebrews is picking up in those couple of verses from chapter six. And look at it. Look at God's response to Abraham. The writer to the Hebrews is prompting us to look here. Look at Abraham and see why it's worth trusting God, even when times are faith testing, even when life seems hard, even when you're asking the question, is it all worth it? Abraham having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So the answer is yes, it's worth waiting. Look at Abraham, in other words, and remember God's response 
to Abraham's persevering faithfulness. You see, Abraham was convinced that, that God could be trusted, and so he, verse 15, look at those two words, he patiently waited. But why don't we all look at Abraham's, or God's response to Abraham? Look at his patient waiting. And when things were up in the air for him, one thing that was not up in the air was the truth that God is God and can be trusted completely. Well, we have that truth too, don't we? Struggling Christians. Here's our non-negotiable, if you like. God can be trusted. And so whatever comes and goes, whatever curveballs you face in 2022, whatever crisis you walk into next week, whatever shock awaits you next month, whatever looms in the distance that you just can't bring your mind to think about, the dependable, constant, good, consistent thing is God's amazing faithfulness. And just like Abraham, you and I must learn to patiently wait. He's trustworthy, but we have to have patience. Well, that's the first prompt here for struggling Christians. Look at God's response to Abraham's faithfulness. And secondly, here's the second prompt. Realize the strength of God's promises, verses 16 to 18. Um, read closely here from verse 16. Uh, the argument is tight, and we'll do a little bit of unpacking in a moment, but look from verse 16 here in chapter six. The writer says, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Well, here's the point that the writer's making. He's, he's talking about God using a picture of oath swearing. And he says people use oaths. That's what they do, legal oaths to underline the truthfulness of what they're claiming or their testimony in any court. And so they use oaths to confirm what, that what they're about to say and what they're saying is truthful. And the writer tells us that God confirmed his absolute trustworthiness, his truthfulness, the, and look at that phrase, the unchangeable character of his purpose with an oath. God wanted us, in other words, the heirs of this promise, to know that his words and his promises, they're not just flippant remarks on the wind, but that God has an unchangeable purpose. It's watertight. What God says is true. It's fully trustworthy. And that should let us see the strength behind what he's saying. It's all true. It's all good. And so you and I needn't worry that God will suddenly change his mind, suddenly change the terms, suddenly draft in a few lawyers and say, actually, well, what I really meant was this. No way. God's not about to do that. Did you realize the strength of God's promises? Well, what are those two unchangeable things? Look at verse 18. He's, he mentions two unchangeable things. What are they? Well, there's some discussion about this. 
But it's probably what we've just seen. Firstly, this confirming oath, verse 17, added to secondly, God's completely reliable promise, two unchangeable things, the confirming oath and the reliable promise. And then he gets to the point, God's oath plus God's promise equals strong encouragement for struggling Christians. Look at verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God's promises are strong. And they provide Christians with strong encouragement to keep holding tightly to our hope as believers. Do you hear what the Bible's prompting us to? It's prompting us, you see, not just to hear the Bible as one of a flurry of equal um, claims of equal weight. In any given week, you and I will hear lots of teaching from lots of different quarters, lots of advice, but the Bible's telling us to hear this differently, to feel the intensity of the Word of God, the strength of it, the truthfulness of it, So, as we even saw last week, among all the slogans that you'll hear, all the causes that are calling for our attention, the adamant claims perhaps of teachers in your class or at your university campus, well, we who have, and look at that lovely phrase, run to God for refuge, we can listen up and get newfound courage as the perfect storm intensifies round about us. You see, the Bible says God can be trusted. He doesn't lie. God's promises are true and strong, and he made good on those promises to Abraham. He's not about to rewrite things now. Two prompts. Look at God's response to Abraham. Then you and I need to realize, like these recipients of this letter, realize the strength of God's promises, secondly. And then the third prompt here. Hold on, hold on, hold on to the sure and steady anchor. Our hope is in Jesus, verses 19 to 20. Look at these last couple of verses together. These are some of the the most thrilling verses in this book of Hebrews. Look at them. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll get to Melchizedek next week. But here's a a really graphic picture of where struggling Christians like you and I who are riding out the storm, here's where we must find our stability. Here it is. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Now, you probably notice the the imagery here is quite amazing in these couple of verses. Just back up for a moment to the end of verse 18 for a minute. Um, We have that phrase, we who have fled for refuge, um, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. So if you think about it, the writer to the Hebrews says that Christians, Christians are refuge seekers, refugees. 
All Christians are, are refugees. We've, we've fled to God for refuge. Isn't that an image to have on your mind of us leaving behind everything and fleeing for refuge to God? Like those people yesterday hearing the tsunami warning, fleeing to higher ground. Well, that's us as Christians. We've, we've fled not to higher ground, but to God for refuge. We're refugees. Very vivid image. Holding tightly to hope, and then look at the start of 19, is it's described so vividly, that hope, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So from refugees, and now we've got an anchor for the soul, that nautical image. Now, this anchor doesn't just simply sink onto the bed of the sea. Look where it goes. A hope, verse 19, that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. An anchor, hope, hope that's embedded. And here the writer uses the language of the Old Testament tabernacle. Hope that's embedded in the inner place behind the curtain. An anchor you see that's firmly grounded in the presence of God himself. Refugees in really stormy waters, but nonetheless holding tightly to an anchor that's firmly resting on what? Well, it's in the character and presence of God behind the curtain because, verse 20, of Jesus Christ. Because that's where he has gone as a forerunner. He has blazed the trail there, having become this high priest, which we'll discuss next week. Now, as we think about what this means, um, I was really helped by one of the writers on this, and I hope this will go on the screen, but here's what David Gooding puts, or how he describes this. He says this, what a hope Christians have. They have cast their anchor, not in their fluctuating moods or feelings, or in their varying circumstances, or in anything else in this changing world. Christ himself, as their precursor, has taken their anchor right through into heaven itself and embedded it in the immovable ground of the presence and throne and character of God. Isn't that a stunning statement? Look, look what we have. We have anchors not in movable things. It's not gonna shift away fluctuating moods whatever I feel like, depression, varying circumstances, the lot that I'm faced with at work, the pressure from people, the relationships going sour. No, no, that's not where our anchor is. It's not in anything in this changing world, but rather it's in the presence of God, immovable, embedded. When you came to trust in Christ, many of us are Christians here, and if that's you, when you came to trust in Christ, you cast your anchor somewhere spectacularly stable. And it now rests there, metaphorically speaking, on no mere seabed. But because of Jesus, that anchor has been taken into the presence of the unchangeable, trustworthy, mighty, dependable God. Isn't that a thrilling thought for us? Now, now think about then what, if we're losing hope, what's that about? 
Well, losing hope then is gonna be closely associated with dropping an anchor somewhere other than Jesus Christ. Putting those little anchors, as we do, to all the other things in our lives. Places like the fluctuating moods or the feelings or the, the raw circumstances. Anything else in this changing world. And think about that image of us with all these little anchors and we're flinging them out and they're sort of getting traction in various places in our lives. And that has everything to do with losing hope. Because even the best job, even the surest relationship, the most fulfilling experience cannot anchor the soul. Can't. Because the storms come in and we're left battered and running for higher ground. If you're finding yourself at the start of this new year on the edge of a new kind of despair, the Bible prompts us in Hebrews to check your anchor. And if you're a Christian, hold on to the anchor. Hold on, not to all those other little ones, pull them away, they're moving anyway. Our anchor is on the Lord Jesus Christ, the sure and steady anchor. Now let me speak very seriously for just a moment as we think this one through. I can't see a scenario where you and I will hold on and persevere with this hope anchor in Christ without each and every one of us holding on together as a local church. I can't see a scenario where you or I will survive without each other. Not that this anchor is somehow defective or changeable or badly placed, We've just seen here in God's word, haven't we, that God's promises are strong. The anchor has stability. Hope brought into the very presence of God, secured, fastened, steadfast. No, no, the trouble is with us as individuals if we let go or start anchoring our lives in other places. So we're gonna need each other. One friend of mine described the issue in really stark terms. He said this, one Sunday, I decided not to go to church. And I did the same the next week. And I did it the next week. And although my friend didn't add in this detail, it's clear what was happening, you see. At the same time as he was drifting away from his local church community, he was putting out anchors to all the other things in life. And, and not all of them were bad, necessarily. But every one of those new alternative moorings for his life was right in front of the curtain. Every one of them offered hope for today. Every one of them offered him peace now. Something to do, an anchor, tiny anchors, apart from Christ, apart from the steadfast God behind the curtain. And so the writer to the Hebrews, please listen back to that message. It was before Christmas in, in November. You might have forgotten it, or you can read back in chapter six. You see, he's just warned Christians, hasn't he? Look back, scan back those lines in chapter six. He's warned Christians about the real danger of drift caused by, well, immaturity, mere shallow appearance of being a Christian in the early part of this chapter. And like my friend, each one of us will be bombarded with offers of where to anchor our lives. And when we drift away from church 
gathering with this local community of believers, we're already on a drift away from the only anchor that anchors the soul. Don't tether your life to other things and yet have your soul go adrift. Don't. Or to put it this way, think about it personally, deeply in your own heart. Has anchor casting in every direction, has that become endemic in your life? Well, here we can see something very important. Here's, here's the eternal importance of setting your alarm on a Sunday morning or setting your alarm for the Bible study midweek. Eternal importance as you go through and set it or figure out how to work that little alarm clock on your dresser. Eternal importance. And you know what? You don't even have to set it all that early. You, you guys managed it. We're all here, aren't we? Come. Bring yourself, bring your children, bring others too, because we're gonna need each other to remind ourselves to stand and sing, great are you, Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Christ the sure and steady anchor. And to hear teaching that will make sure that any anchors that have been put out in any other direction during the week are pulled away and we see the sure and steadfast anchor for the soul in Christ behind the curtain. Well, the whistle's about to go, but this gathering, brothers and sisters, is vital as we learn the gospel, as we pray, as we share, as we sing, as we're gonna do in a moment. Um, the song we're gonna sing, by the way, Christ the sure and steady anchor. It's a great one, and if you haven't added it to your singing lexicon, I, I really suggest you add it. Sing loudly today. But this will be a weekly, you see. This, this gathering is going to be a weekly callback from all the anchor casting that I've got wound up in back to the real anchor. Now, the whistle's about to go. Time to act on these three prompts, will you? Look at God's response to Abraham. Realize the strength of God's promises. And together with each person in our church, hold on to the sure and steady anchor. Our hope is in Jesus Christ.